We just finished a series about the seasons of life. We walked through 14 seasons described in Ecclesiastes 3, and if you'd like to hold on to those scriptures, if they resonated with you, there are some beautiful copies of them in the commons on your way out. And now we're going to change gears to my favorite book of the Bible. The past series was about the seasons that we move into and through. This season, or this series is about preparing for a season that you're not yet in. This series is preventative in nature because what we know is the best time to prepare for a trial is before the trial actually hits you. This series is about preventative medicine for the soul because the Bible tells us unapologetically that challenges, obstacles, and trials are an inevitable part of life, but those challenges are also incredibly valuable if we invite God into them. So let's get started. Have you ever heard yourself say these words? I want to lose a few pounds. I want to get into shape. I want to travel to this place. I want to finish my degree. I want to clean out my garage. I want to change this mindset. I want to live in a different place. I want to change my kids. I want to change my parents. I want to change my life. I know we all want to, but will we? Because here's the reality. We all make those statements, and yet a year later, we're still eating Oreos. The treadmill is still being used as a clothes rack. We never bothered to book the airline tickets. The degree is still not done. The garage still has worthless piles of junk in it, while the second largest investment we will make outside of our home is still parked in the driveway. We're still the same. The people around us are still the same. And we are thinking to ourselves, oh, no, 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 no. I'm going to get to it someday. Good intentions are common. Real change is rare. And that's why the primary question of the book of James is, I know you want to, but will you? So before we dive into the content of James, let's actually talk about James the writer, okay? We're talking about the Apostle James, the brother of Jesus. I would call him a biblical straight shooter. But let's stop right there for just a second. Can you imagine growing up as the brother of Jesus, the Son of God and God the Son? I mean, it's bad enough that your mom has that pregnant virgin backstory going on in her life, but now the Son of God and God the Son is your brother. Can you imagine those family dynamics. Mom, Jesus just hit me. No, he didn't. Dad, Jesus just called me a really bad name. No, he didn't. Hey, Jesus, I think that cute girl from up the street, I think she has a crush on me. No, she doesn't. How do you know? I just know. You know, you think James would have been scarred for life, but he's not. And I think that's a good learning moment for those of us who like to use our family upbringing as a convenient excuse to act like a jerk. Instead, James uses his life and background to lay out the most direct and practical teaching, in my humble opinion, in the entire Bible. It's important to know the writer. It's also important to know who James is writing to because it influences the way we actually read the letter. So who's James writing to? He's writing to the diaspora. So a group of Jewish people who've been scattered among the nations. So here's the picture. James is writing to people of faith who've been scattered throughout the world who are struggling putting their faith into action. 
Does that sound relevant at all to any of us? We have so much to learn. So off we go. I've preached the first 16 verses of James before, so I'm just going to summarize them for you. And then next week, Pastor Brian's going to take you deeper. We have a conviction together that James chapter 1 is so important, we're going to preach it to you twice, okay? From two different perspectives. But the key truth of James, chapter 1, verses 2 through 16, I would summarize this way. Trials and temptations are no respecter of persons. If you are a breathing human being with a pulse, you will experience and face trials and temptations. There are no exceptions. You, if you're not actually facing a trial right now, you will be sooner or later. But always remember, God brings value into all of our trials. I actually heard someone say this to me once upon a time. They said, seriously, I want to be a pastor because they don't have any problems. wrong, right? Everyone has trials and temptations. Loving Jesus doesn't make you immune from trials and temptations. In fact, loving Jesus makes you a target for trials and temptations. But let me tell you why that's okay. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And there's always value in every single trial and triumph over every single temptation if you choose to walk through trials and temptations with Jesus and not without Jesus. Amen. Secondly, trials and temptations, they're just assumed. The brother of Jesus says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, did you see that? Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. It's not an if, it's a when. Every Easter, the staff of Christ the King encounters deep spiritual attack. It is as predictable as rain in Washington or that nasty smell that resides in Linden. Okay? You know what I'm talking about? It happens every single year. A few years ago, we knew it was coming because it happens every single year before Easter. We actually made a chart, and I had people write down their trials. I usually find around Easter, the devil goes after people's health, family, vehicles, or appliances. I have no idea why. It's just the way it works, okay? So Easter was coming. People were getting sick. Dishwashers were exploding. Cars were breaking down because the devil is boring and predictable. He wanted to take our focus off of Jesus, and we refused to let him because we knew what was coming. I will never forget, show up on an Easter Sunday morning, someone from the staff wrote over top of this list, this chart of trials, they wrote these words over top of it, covered by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus, amen. We know trials are coming. They're coming towards us right now, but we can take some encouragement because here's the key encouragement of James chapter one. It says this, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let me translate that for you. Blessed are the ones who suck it up and keep going. <laughs> Loved are those who persevere and cling to their faith in a difficult time. Honored are those who just keep putting one foot in front of the other when everybody else has packed it in. 
Blessed are those who come out of the other side of their pain with their faith intact, their valid questions being asked, and worship coming out of them as their response. Let's move on. So in the context of predictable trials, predictable temptation, James gives us this practical advice. It's the practical wisdom of James. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil. It is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it. There it is. I know you want to, but will you? But doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue, deceive themselves, here it comes, and their religion is worthless. That's a straight shot to the heart of every one of us. And whether you're watching at home or in a campground somewhere or you're in the room with me right now, let's not duck this hard truth or try to deflect it in another direction. Here's what James is not saying. James is not saying when trials come, you should respond by whining and complaining, jumping on the internet, screaming about how unfair life is, rallying a group of sympathizers, and then complaining that you are so alone. That is not what James is saying. Instead, he gives us a completely different strategy. I put it in your outline this way. When you face trials and temptations as a follower of Jesus, this is what you're supposed to do. Number one, Open your ears. That is not a human response, normal human response. What happens? I don't know about you, but, but when pain comes into my life, it tends to come rolling out of my mouth, right? What do we normally do as soon as we encounter an obstacle and it's difficult to overcome it? We start whining and complaining. We lecture God about how he doesn't know what he's doing and we never even pause to give God a chance to speak to us through the trial. Have you ever considered that every trial you face as a follower of Jesus is actually an amazing opportunity to learn something about you or the God that you serve? James says, this is what I want you to do. Listen. Listen to what God is saying to you through the trial. Don't talk. We'll get to that one in just a minute. And then we'll come back to it during week number three, which is going to talk about taming the tongue. That is no small task. But listen to what God is saying to you through the trial. Don't talk. Listen to God through his word and hopefully through godly perspective and wisdom. So before you say a word, listen for a word. Let me say that again. Before you say a word, listen for a word. Then James pushes in a little bit more. Number two, slow your mouth. Oh, that's hard. 
That's hard. I'm feeling a sense of irony right now because I'm talking fairly quickly. And James, the brother of Jesus, is saying, slow down your mouth. When our mouths go unrestrained and we cause and we cause unbelievable damage. We learned a little bit later on in the book, James is going to say this muscle in your head is evil. It's filled with poison. And you can, you can crush relationships in your life because of what you decide to say or not say. You know, we say things, right? And, and, and we can't take them back. And James, all the way through this series, is gonna, in, he's going to instruct us to build in this holy pause. I know I sound like a broken record on this one. I have talked about it over and over and over again. And so right now, I'm just going to practice what I preach. We're going to come back to this in a few weeks. But we need to listen first and then specifically slow down our mouth. Number three, handle anger appropriately. This is so important for us to hear. Okay, nowhere in the passage does it say to not talk or not get angry. James just cautions us that we're supposed to slow that process down, that we're supposed to pause, listen to a word before we say a word. Why? So that we don't leave a body count of innocent people in the wake of our anger. So if you read this passage and think God is saying that you just need to swallow your anger and that you're doing okay as long as nobody hears it from you, let's just call a spade a spade, all right? They may not hear your anger, but if they see or sense your anger when you are squinting at them or giving them the silent treatment or lifting that corner of your sneering lip, that is not what James is talking about. Here's something we need to know. Jesus got angry. Anger is not an evil emotion. God created it. We can handle our anger in inappropriate ways that can result in sin, or we can handle our anger in appropriate ways, and actually God can teach us so many lessons through it. James says, becoming angry for a follower of Jesus should be a slow process, and that it should always be directed at a sin, ours first, and not just randomly at other people. Let me be as clear as I can possibly be. If you are quick to explode, you don't just have a temper, you have a spiritual problem that needs Jesus. James says there's something godly about developing restraint and just slowing down. Because in the pause, that's where we meet God. Number four, take out the trash. Verse 21, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. All the way through the series, James is going to keep asking us to do a spiritual gut check. He's asking today, is there any blatant, unconfessed sin that I need to bring to Jesus, that you need to bring to Jesus? James teaches us, and he's going to reinforce this throughout the letter, that sin actually can keep the Word of God from penetrating our lives. That's why we need to peel back every layer that's between us and, uh, that's between us and God's holiness and allow the Word of God to actually penetrate into the depth of 
of our soul. Here's the picture that I use. It's like wanting to plant a seed in a flower pot. But before you put the seed into the dirt, you cover the pot with cellophane or saran wrap and you just put the seed on the top, pour a little bit of water, stick it out in the sun and hope that it grows. Anybody with any kind of gardening knowledge knows that doesn't work. Unless the seed gets down into the depth of the soil, it will never, ever grow. But when we allow the seed of the word of God to get down into the depth of who we are, even the dirt of our past, the grace, mercy, of Jesus can actually grow and explode. Do you know that God can actually create something beautiful out of the worst parts of you? Do you know that God can reconstruct those broken memories and allow them to actually become what nurtures this new seed if you're willing to open your heart to it. We have to let the word penetrate the dirt of our sin so that out of it can come new life. Now let me read verse 22 again because it's so important. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. It's not enough to just hear it. If we don't do something with it, then we've completely missed the point. The word listen here. So it says, do not merely listen to the word. The word listen here in the original Greek is actually the word that we would translate our word audit for. Maybe some of you audited a class in, in college. When you audit a class, you get to go to the class and listen to the professor. You get to observe their expertise, but that's as far as you get to go because you're just auditing the class. And because you're auditing the class, you can listen, but you don't get to take the tests and you don't have to do any of the work. So you hear the material, but it never really costs you anything to allow it to sink into the depth of who you are. Can I tell you something that breaks my heart as a pastor? I meet a lot of people who could beat anyone in a game of Bible Jeopardy, but they've never loved anyone because of what they know. They don't do anything with their knowledge except judge and exalt themselves. That's not the intent of Scripture. They can quote you chapter and verse, but when it comes to actually living it out, it never, ever happens. And to me, honestly, it's heartbreaking. I've observed something else about people who claim to follow Jesus, but all they have is head knowledge. Here's what I've learned. They are mean. They're just mean, miserable people. They whine and complain about stuff that doesn't matter. And even their head knowledge somehow ends about being about what they like or don't like. And it never ends up being about Jesus. I know this is a bold statement. I'm going to say it anyway. Just my opinion. But I think there may be a lot of Bible jeopardy being played in hell. James says it's so much more than just hearing it. It has to penetrate. It's got to drop. It has to change. It has to shift. James says the people that read it but don't do it are just fooling themselves. He keeps saying it. Do what it says. Do what it says. And for this particular week, we're going to come to the, this last little part here where 
James says, if you need a strategy in the midst of trial on the front end, make sure, number five, that you actually deposit that word because it has two beautiful effects. Number one, it saves. James says the word will actually save your soul, your reputation, your dignity, it can even save your relationships. When the word of God gets in you, it can save your soul because the word will always point you to Jesus. You can be reading the most random story in the Old Testament. I promise you, if you let it sink into your soul, it will always point you to Jesus every single time because every verse in Scripture points us towards Jesus. So the Word can can save as it brings the message of Jesus, that beautiful that beautiful exchange between laying down our old life and receiving the new life that God has for you. Scripture describes what that looks like. It talks about the grace and the mercy and the love of Jesus. But the word can also save other things. The word can save other aspects of your life. It can save your reputation, because I'll tell you something, if you don't learn how to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, you end up developing the reputation of being a loose cannon that can't be trusted. The word can save your dignity because if you learn how to slow your mouth down, you begin to realize that you don't have to go back and make things right with people that you've hurt. And in doing that, it saves relationships. When you slow your mouth down, you don't have to circle back and make amends because of things that just came recklessly out of your mouth. The word saves the whole package of a person if... We move beyond just listening and into doing. Here's the last piece. So the word saves, but it also reflects. The word reflects those areas in your life that need a little work. I can tell you something. There's some areas in my life need a little work. James says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a person who looks at his face in their mirror and after looking at themselves goes away and immediately forgets what they look like but the one who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this not forgetting what they've heard but doing it they will be blessed in all they do if anyone considers themselves religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on their tongue they deceive themselves and their religion is worthless Mirrors can be difficult. (laughs) They're challenging. You know why? Because they show you as you really are. I made a mistake again the other day. I walked into our bathroom. My wife has a high magnification makeup mirror, and I made the mistake of looking at myself (laughs) in that highly magnified state. It was not a pretty picture. I mean, I look in the mirror, and this is what's screaming back at me. I see some pretty deep lines. There's a little gray showing up on the temples. I can see hair growing out of my ears. (laughs) I actually have a theory about hair as we age, especially if you're a guy. I don't think we actually lose it. I think it actually just goes back inside and shows up somewhere else. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? And some of the young people are in the room and you're going, what are you talking about? Oh, don't worry, it's coming for you. (laughs) Welcome to that trial. James says the people who never live out their faith are like people who look in a mirror, see the image, and then walk away and tell themselves, I don't look like that. 
James says that people who never live out their faith are like people who look in the mirror, see the image, and then walk away thinking, that's a stupid mirror. (laughs) James says if you allow the word of God to actually reflect back those pieces that need a little work, then you're absolutely ready for the presence of God to show up in any trial and change you. The word of God reflects it all back. Areas of our lives that are broken need some work. Areas of our lives where we can see a little bit of Jesus. Years ago, I used to travel on a college college musical team and we used to sing a song And the lyrics of one particular song, they still stick in my brain today. It said, I look into the mirror, I don't like what I see. Not enough of you, Lord, and far too much of me. As we walk through this series, James is going to say, if you're willing to let this word get into the depth of your soul, this is the promise. You'll start seeing less of you and start seeing more of Jesus. I know you want to, but will you? The word of God reflects an accurate picture of our soul. It can also give us courage as we enter into this time knowing that every trial that's placed in front of us is an opportunity to learn more about Jesus, to listen more to Jesus. We think this word is so important that we actually have a challenge for you. I know you want to, but will you? Will you read the book of James? Like in the next seven days. It's short. It's so jam-packed full of wisdom. So we have a challenge for you. Just like Pastor Brian got up here and read you one chapter, my challenge to you is to read all of the chapters of James between now and next weekend. If you don't have a Bible, no problem. There's free ones in the comments. You're sitting on a table right in the middle. Just go ahead and help yourselves. If you don't want a paper copy, you can go to ctk.church James, and it will be there for you. In fact, I gave a challenge to the 930 service. I better back it up with the 1115. So as the way my world works, I sit in a lot of coffee shops with people from Christ the King, and we talk about life and Jesus and the Bible and church and all that other kind of amazing stuff. And, and I'll make you a deal. If I find you in a coffee shop this week and you've got the book of James open, I'll buy you whatever you want. Up to a certain amount. Okay, I'm just saying. But no, seriously, I'll buy your coffee. If I walk in and you hold up your Bible or you flip your app around and go, Book of James, I'll buy your coffee. Because I know that when the word gets in us, it changes us. And James is just so straight. So what's the bottom line from our friend James this week? Well, I would summarize his straight talk with these two sentences. What is in your heart will come out of you when you face the pressure of life head on? You know, it's amazing to me how when life happens and and, and we get up every morning and we just start thinking to ourselves, I I know know what I want to do. The first, I know The best way to start every single day, the day that God gave you, is is to check out a little bit of of celebrity gossip. Because I just really need to know what's going on with 
Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston, right? <laughs> and then I better go to CNN because that is just so unbelievably uplifting to see of all the things that are happening in the world these days. And then I better jump on my Facebook feed to find out whether or not so-and-so responded to me or, or, or so-and-so responded to me and if they used happy smiley face emojis or if they used some other emojis that have tears attached to them. And, and, and while I'm at it, because I'm just on such a roll today, I just want to keep checking out all of the things that are going on in the world because it's just so unbelievably encouraging. And, and, and then I, I, better, I better check it again because I already checked it this morning, now I'm halfway through the day, and I better find out like, how much more dysfunction just happened in the world around me because I just think that's, that's so unbelievably important. And I saturate myself in it, and, and I marinate myself in it, and I soak myself in everything that's going on in the broken world around me, and then I'm so unbelievably shocked when a little bit of pressure comes from a trial... And what drips out of me is the very thing that I put inside of my soul since the very beginning of the day. And I go, where did all of that anger come from? And where is that ugly jealousy and envy stuff? And how did that apathetic attitude show up? And why am I so frustrated and my relationships are so broken? Like, where did all of that stuff come from? You don't have to do that life. I know you, I know you want to, but, but will you change your perspective? Because what if instead you woke up in the morning and opened up a love letter from God written by his brother and what if you focused on whatever is pure and right and noble and beautiful, these gifts that God's given us because he gave you the whole day? And what if you focused on a soft answer, turns away anger, and if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just and will forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness? What if we focused on the fact that Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you, I am living water. What if we focused on great is your faithfulness, Lord, your mercies are new every single day. What if we focused on it as well with my soul? What if even if we had a house fire, we were able to find God in the middle of that trial when our community shows up? And what if we were just so unbelievably shocked that after filling our hearts with all of the beauty that God has put around us and the truth of his word, wouldn't we be shocked if when the trials and temptations came that what poured out of us was not ugly and gross but was beautiful and wise and filled with thankfulness and filled with love and joy and mercy and what if what was inside of us began to spill out and affect the other people around us because we were quick to listen, slow to speak? 
What if instead of filling our hearts with anger, we allowed the living water of Jesus to fill every fabric of our being so that no matter what came, what poured out of us was pure, beautiful, and refreshing. I know you want to. Last piece, you can be as religious as you want, but out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So James hit us pretty hard this week, didn't he? <laughs> Here it comes again. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on their tongue, they deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Rick Riley, several years ago, wrote an article in Sports Illustrated about two sixth grade basketball teams. The Texas Titans sixth grade basketball team flies in a corporate jet with video games, ice cream bars, and flight attendants. They've been recruited from all over the Dallas Metroplex and they are all all-stars. They have private coaches, they play in national tournaments. One of the parents built a practice facility on the grounds of their 13,000 square foot mansion so the Titans could practice anytime they wanted to. The Titans have an entourage of 95 people and they all stay first class at whatever particular tournament they go to. The Texas Assault sixth grade basketball team is a group of inner city kids that goes to tournaments in the back of one of their parents' suburbans. They usually make their tournaments, but not always, because sometimes the suburban breaks down. The Assault sleep at the Motel 6 or worse, and their tournament diet is usually Kentucky Fried Chicken. They try to practice at least twice a week, but sometimes they can't because the high school gym that they are allowed to use is sometimes used by high school teams. Their volunteer coach, not their paid coach, said, you know, sometimes we wish we had those other things, but we believe that when you're not handed things, you're actually hungrier and you play a little harder. He said, when you're sharing a car for six hours or sleeping in the same bed as your teammate, he's not your teammate any longer, he's your brother. The Titans, with everything, played the assault with nothing four times that year, and the team with nothing won all four games. Because you see, when you boil it down, basketball is still passing, dribbling, shooting, and playing as a team. When you boil it all down, following Jesus is really just loving, forgiving, giving away the same grace that you received, and loving your team. James says that even when you feel like you have nothing, as long as you have a faith worth living, then you actually have everything that matters to Jesus, and it will always result in a spiritual victory. So this will be the challenge for the next number of weeks. Oh, I, I know you want to love Jesus with all of your heart. Will you take your faith and put it into action? Will we learn the discipline of hitting the pause, slowing our mouth? I know we all want to, but will you?
I'd like to talk for just a few moments, not to the people in the room. So we've been in an interesting season over the past three years. Those of you that are in the room, you can just eavesdrop on this conversation. I'm so glad you're here. When I saw the forecast, I thought it was going to be me and three of my closest friends. Thanks for coming. It's really nice to actually talk to people. Um, for those of you that are at home, I, I hope you hear my heart when I talk about this. There are some very good reasons to stay home. If you're caring for someone or you're not feeling well, we're so glad you stayed home. If you were sniffling or coughing today, thank you for not coming into this room. We are so unbelievably grateful. There are good reasons to stay at home. I love it. When I get pictures from people that are camping in different states and they send me a picture of their family gathered around a laptop or a telephone and they're watching church from their campground. I think that's awesome. I have a picture from a friend of mine who had me on his phone on the handlebars of his motorcycle. Now, I'm not sure how safe that was, but you know, that's faith at a whole other level. But, but the sentiment behind it was really, really cool. We're staying in touch, and we always want our online opportunities to do exactly that. But I would like to talk to you for a few moments about those of you who are staying home simply for convenience. I know you want to be a part of a community, but will you be a part of a community? It's easy to choose convenience over conviction what I know is this, you need your community and your community needs you. I'm not just trying to refill a room. Honestly, it doesn't matter to me that much. I just know that when we're working on this kind of stuff, it's so much better when we do it together. So I'll leave it with you. I know you want to, but will you? Would you pray with me as we close today? Father God, we thank you for this day and the beautiful gift that you've given to us. Lord, and now we have the, the first chapter, the first installment of the book of James, Lord, and there's so much more for us to learn. So God, this week, I pray that we would accept the challenge of reading the book of James, to hear from your brother who was inspired fully and completely by your Holy Spirit and gives us so much practical wisdom for the world in which we live. God, I pray that you would bless my brothers and sisters both here and at home. Lord, may we take with us the power of the word today. And as the trials of life press in on us, Lord, may, may what comes out of our mouth and our heart truly honor and glorify you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said... Amen. Thank you so much for coming. Have a great week. We'll see you back here.